Welcome to Black Music Matters. July's podcast is dedicated to one of America's most influential recording artists, Louis Jordan. So influential that he's been named the father of rhythm and blues, the grandfather of rock and roll, and the king of the jukebox. Louis Jordan was born July 8, 1908 in Brinkley, Arkansas. His father, a musician and band leader, taught Louis to play the clarinet and soon young Louis took up the saxophone, the instrument he became most known for. While he was still in high school, Jordan began playing professional gigs during his summer vacation. Upon graduation, he studied music at Baptist College and soon was performing in big jazz bands. The most famous was led by Chick Webb, one of the best regarded band leaders and drummers of the 1930s swing era. Jordan not only played alto saxophone and clarinet in the band, he also became one of the band's two featured singers, the other being the first lady of song, Ella Fitzgerald. But Jordan wanted to be a band leader like his father. So in 1938, he started his own group. He couldn't afford to put together a big band, so he formed a small combo consisting of just four instruments, saxophone, drums, piano, and stand-up bass. He called his band the Timpani Four because the drummer sometimes played timpani drums, which are also called kettle drums. They're the big round drums you see in orchestras that play classical music. Jordan had become fascinated with the timpani drums because they had foot pedals that could change the pitch of the drums. The Timpani Four's first regular gig was in Harlem at the Elks Rendezvous on Lenox Avenue. There, the band became so popular that radio station WNEW began airing the band's performances. Though WNEW was a small radio station out of Newark, New Jersey, it had enough power to reach New York City, giving the band some great exposure. The Timpani Four played a swinging up-tempo mix of the blues and jazz with a heavy accent on the rhythm section, a style of music that became known as rhythm and blues. Rhythm and blues is the same term the recording industry began using in 1949 to indicate which records were by black artists and would be marketed to a black audience. In 1938, Decca Records began recording Jordan's band. By then, two musicians had been added, and the band became known as Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five, a name that remained no matter how many extra musicians were added later on. Their record sold well enough for Decca to keep recording them, but they didn't have a hit until 1942. It was a slow, humorous blues song called What's the Use of Getting Sober When You're Gonna Get Drunk Again? It went straight to the top of the rhythm and blues charts. 1942 was the beginning of the rise of Louis Jordan and the beginning of the decline of the big bands. The United States had just entered World War II. Since the war made it necessary to ration gasoline, moving big bands around the country, big bands which often had between 10 and 20 musicians, well, that became difficult and expensive. But Jordan didn't need a big band to become popular. As he once said, with my little band, I could do everything they did with a big band. I made the blues jump. And he made his audiences laugh. Ingredients that had his live performances often outsell those of the most popular big bands. Between 1942 and 1951, 
Jordan scored 18 number one hits, more number ones than Bing Crosby, the top white artist of the time. But that statement is a bit misleading and needs some clarification. Though Louis Jordan and Bing Crosby were recording for the same label, Decca Records, their records were on different music charts. Crosby's number one hits were on the national best-selling retail records charts, also known as the pop charts. Most of Jordan's number one hits were on music charts reserved for records made by black artists, first called Race Records, then Harlem Hit Parade, and finally Rhythm and Blues. But some of Jordan's records became so popular that they crossed over to the pop charts, and some also made it onto the country and western music charts. So Louis Jordan, the most popular black artist of the 1940s, was named Father of Rhythm and Blues. And he was crowned King of the Jukebox. In the 1940s and 50s, jukeboxes were found in hotels, restaurants, diners, bars, clubs, luncheonettes, army barracks, even laundromats, just about anywhere people gathered. It was estimated that between 50 and 75 percent of all records sold in the mid-1940s were sold to jukebox operators. The danceability of Jordan's jump blues and his comic lyrics enticed people to play his records over and over. Since heavy jukebox play wore the records out, they had to be replaced with new copies, which then increased record sales, just one of the factors used to measure a record's popularity. One measure of popularity no longer used today was jukebox play. Jukeboxes were equipped with counters which could keep track of how often each record was played. Another indicator of a record's popularity no longer used today was sheet music sales. I found the sheet music cover of a song that Louis Jordan recorded in 1953. It's called House Party. Jordan was the only artist who recorded the song. But his picture was not put on the sheet music cover. Instead, they put the photo of a white singer, Frankie Lane, who had never, ever recorded the song. That was no way to treat the king of the jukebox and the father of rhythm and blues, who was also named the grandfather of rock and roll. Rhythm and blues, rock and roll, what's the difference? Well, there wasn't any at first. It was just that around 1950, disc jockey Alan Freed began calling the rhythm and blues records he was playing rock and roll. And the new name stuck. Many early rock and roll recording artists named Louis Jordan as their greatest influence, including white recording artist Bill Haley. In 1955, Bill Haley and the Comets scored the first rock and roll record to hit the top of Billboard's pop charts. The song stayed at number one for eight weeks. Bill Haley's style and Louis Jordan's were so similar. Both had the same driving backbeat the same blues changes. And the instrumentation of both bands was basically the same. Guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, saxophone, and electric guitar. Jordan had added the electric guitar to his band in the 1940s. The similarity between the two bands was no accident. After Louis Jordan and the Timpani Five left Decca Records, Decca signed on a new group, Bill Haley and the Comets. Jordan's former producer, Milt Gabler, began working with this new group, teaching them how to create Jordan's style of music. 
We began with Jordan's shuffle rhythm, explained Gabler. Then we'd build on it. I'd sing Jordan's riffs to the group. That would be picked up by the electric guitar and tenor sax. There was a difference in the lyrics, though. Jordan's lyrics were for adults. Bill Haley's were more for teenagers. In the 1950s, they were the ones buying most of the rhythm and blues slash rock and roll records. There's so much more to say about Louis Jordan, musician, singer, songwriter, band leader, and actor. He appeared in several movies. Now, when searching for him on the internet, you may be directed to Louis Jordan, a French actor. But Louis Jordan, the musician, spelt his name L-O-U-I-S-J-O-R-D-A-N. If you go to the end of Wikipedia's article on Louis Jordan, you'll find a list of the hits he had from 1942 to 1951. In 1953, he recorded a song by Rosemary McCoy called House Party. Though not a hit, it's so Louis Jordan. And it can be found on the internet. But whatever songs you choose, I think you'll enjoy listening to Louis Jordan and his Timpany Five. This is Arlene Corsano signing off until August when I'll be back with a new podcast about, I don't know what yet, I just know it will be about how much black music has mattered to music made in America.